0: This morning we sang about joy and at 8 o'clock for some of us that's a little bit difficult but I wanted to have you think with me about joy and what you're going to be doing tomorrow morning. And I'm really wondering, really wondering, how many of us have real joy connected with what we quote do for a living or where we find ourselves between Monday and Friday? What is your attitude if you really just think about it? are you obsessive about it compulsive uh, you look forward to it but it really it, it's more of a as i used the term earlier an addiction it's just something that you're pushed to do in order to maintain your lifestyle or is it something and i saw some elbows on this last night of something that you just dread that uh, perhaps your husband or your wife every sunday is just almost um, lathering up getting ready for monday because it's with such trepidation And then there's some of you at a stage in life where you just uh, are wondering why you're still here, which is a horrible question, because God has a plan for you. But once a career ended in one place, you haven't found another purpose. The Bible has lots to say about what we do from Monday to Friday. And we're going to look into the Scripture this morning and see if, as usual, the Holy Spirit might address some of the hungers and searchings for joy that might be in your life this morning. Because the miracle of worship is that you can take one message... And put all kinds of names on it. And so let's see what happens today as the Holy Spirit leads us. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord, it's good to sing about joy. It's good to come here into a house that you built for your glory. And here we kind of just get reoriented, reallocated, repositioned for life. Because we so easily get detoured into wrong places, wrong emotions, wrong attitudes. I pray you'll give us a course correction about the meaning of our life today. You know what our needs are. You you brought us here. We trust you now to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you've seen that um, very common bumper sticker around town. that says, a bad day golfing is better than a good day working. These words, you know, believe it or not, represent a widespread attitude on the part of many toward work. Disc jockeys on Friday, if you ever turn into 96.5 or others on Friday afternoons will urge listeners to hang on just a couple of more hours until weekend, inviting them to join the Thank God It's Friday Club, all indicating that for many, life begins on Friday night. Life begins when work ends. But you know, in, in Silicon Valley, that's not so true. Perhaps it's true more nationally, but as we were talking with the elders Tuesday, one of the problems here in Silicon Valley is it's just the opposite. For us, we're so involved in our work that our life begins when we go to work and in a sense ends when we leave the office, much to the chagrin of our families and our friends. Many of us so caught up in maintaining the lifestyle that's demanded to live in this place, we give the very best that we've got to whatever we do, Monday through Friday, and then the rest of our life is kind of uh, left with the dregs in terms of what's left over. Uh, You see, for many of us, work is our life. Why? Well, it doesn't mean we love the stress and the time binds connected with it, but you know what we love? We love the fruit of what our labor provides. Ego strokes, power, financial freedom to do what we want to do, even though in reality we don't have time to do it. And then, as I mentioned earlier, many of us just love the escape from personal problems and issues that work can provide because it's a good excuse that we can just bail out on stuff in, our, in part of our life to go to the office because, of course, that has to be done. We have to get the paycheck. One of the great challenges we face as Christians living in Silicon Valley is to find a balance between what we allocate to our work and what we give to family and friends and nurturing our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. And that's a tough call. And Scripture offers us some help. And so let's look at today's text and see what we can find. First, we find that work for the Christian should be a ministry done for Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. I wonder how many of you really believe that? How many of us believe that God has placed us in the particular workplace or situation where we are, Monday through Friday, and his purpose was to give us a specific ministry? How many believe that? How many of us believe our workplace then is holy ground? I wonder how many of us really understand that the most spiritual part of our life is not here in church on Sunday morning. The most spiritual part of life of which God is concerned is what we do during the week where he has strategically placed us. Even thinking deeper, what is Menlo Press? Is there a building here on... Santa Cruz and Johnson? No, it really isn't. Menlo Press is a church of God's uh, people that he deploys throughout the world. And where we are during the week is where the church is. And I think that we can intellectually play with that and think, yeah, that sounds good. But in reality, if we'll look at our lifestyle and attitudes toward work, I doubt if we believe that. You know, Jesus was a worker for most of his earthly life. He sanctified the carpenter shop And he made the workplace sacred. For the Christian, work is not a prison from which we have to seek escape. It's not something we should be dreading all weekend because we have to face it Monday. Nor should it be our primary source for discovering our self-worth. If we follow Jesus, the workplace is simply our ministry, our God-appointed task. Now, if you're with me thus far, a legitimate question would become... What would doing for ministry, what would doing ministry for Jesus in the workplace look like? How can we define that? What would be different in your life? Well, I just kind of went around the congregation with some stories, and maybe this will help us understand. A member owns a company, and he describes how he stresses to his employees that the company's basic strategy is long-term relationships with customers and within the company itself. And he told me how he treats his it's a small company and he treats his employees in a sense like family with courtesy with generosity started a pension plan for them so they can participate in the profits because they're all laboring and it shouldn't only go to the owners. But this is what was important to me when an opportunity opens he tells his employees where his philosophy of long-term relationships came from. It's rooted in his life and his commitments to Christ. For example, He has a long-term relationship with his wife, 35 years, with the partners in his business, 31 years, and with his God, 25 years. And he says, this sometimes shocks, and sometimes it's a ministry because my employees ask me why. And you see, that opens a door to say, I'm I'm not just an owner of this company, I'm a follower of Jesus, and this is the difference it makes, and you're feeling it in your life. I believe in long-term relationships. City Team Ministries wrote us a letter of thanks just last week for having received 1,000 turkey hams from a person in our congregation. This person learned that City Team on December 22nd was short 1,000 hams or turkeys to put in their baskets that they send out. Now, they were very happy to receive the gift, but you know what was impressive here was talking to the donor and to participate with him in the joy that he found in sharing the fruits of his labor to meet meet human need in the community. So it was no longer just going to the office and making money. It was taking the fruits of that and putting it into human need. And I have probably a stack of stories that high of other things you did this Christmas where you took the fruits of your labor and you distributed it all over the Bay Area, even all over the world as far as Russia that's making work, our ministry. A member has started a prayer and study group at a large Silicon Valley company. It's not a big group. He just got together a few people who wanted to meet and pray and study. But what was interesting is word kind of spread throughout his department that here was a guy who was leading a Bible study, but more importantly, here was a guy who cared about people. And the fruit of the Bible study was not that the study grew necessarily, but people started dropping in into his office when they were in a crisis because there was somebody in that sterile work environment that cared more about people than about just simply profits and getting a job done. And he had a ministry where people, not Christians necessarily, would come in and ask him to pray for them or just talk with him because he cared recognizing and affirming people in a company, letting them know they're more than just functionaries, taking a personal interest in their lives. That's ministry. And many of us can do that. If I could bottom line out what it means to have a ministry in the workplace, it's basically caring for people with whom we work. That brings glory to Jesus Christ. The root of the word to care is to experience sorrow or to grieve. To care does not mean we cure painful situations. Usually we can't do that. But we can enter the pain of another person without seeking to give solutions. We can reach out to one who's neglected and criticized and sort of on the fringe of the company. We can be patient and forgiving toward that one impossible person. It seems like every workplace has them and they're the ones who need the most love, the hardest to love. Or we might even sit in silence with someone not knowing what to say but knowing we should be there and thus bringing new hope to a hurting heart. We can do that. In fact, Christians can bring the very heart of Jesus to what is a cold labor environment often, preoccupied with profits and productivity. And that behavior is ministry, and that's the call that every one of us have. Now, maybe you're not in the workplace. Maybe your workplace is the home, investing in children, investing in a marriage, or in your local neighborhood, what better ministry is there than to be called to strengthen the building blocks of society and undergird families? How desperately that's needed today. And in our church, both women and men do that. Or maybe you're an empty nester and you're, you, you just spend most of your time in your house. An elder was telling me about a friend she has who's 99 years old. She's confined to her home. She's blind. But when you walk in, she's filled with joy. And you know what she does all day long? She ministers. She does intercessory prayer all day long. That's what she can do now. But instead of feeling badly about it, she has a, she's at a place in her life where she can do that because she's not bothered with other things. She's turned her home into a ministry. You know, our attitudes at work can be a ministry. Have you ever considered how people in the workaday world read you, particularly if you're a Christian. One of the scary things about getting known that we're a Christian where we work is the reputation of Jesus is at stake, if you've ever thought about that, because they're gonna judge him by you. Last week I was buying my wife a birthday card I went into this shop, and I won't say which one, and this poor woman looked like death warmed over. It was, she was so miserable that I almost felt guilty about asking her to go to the labor of selling me a card. She was just, I don't know, she was having a really bad day. But what struck me was I wonder if, what would happen to the reputation of Jesus if that's how people read us, if that's our attitude toward our work. We drag in Monday. And we drag out Friday and we project that this, doesn't, this, this isn't what we want to do. Or what if we are so obsessive about work that people, even though they think we're a Christian, what we're really worshiping is the power and, and the addiction of the work. People read us. And if they were to describe a profile of you, what would they say? And how would the reputation of Jesus come out on the other side? I might add a word for seniors who have transitioned from one career Hopefully, into another ministry, and I would call that one volunteerism. You know, one of America's richest resources as we, as a whole country, grow older are the resources seniors offer their skills, their experience to mentor. Our church's ministry couldn't function here without the hundreds of people who volunteer. No one in this church or anywhere that takes the name Christian should ever ask the question, Why am I still here? I believe every chapter of our life has strategic importance to God. And if we don't understand that, we're somehow out of sync with God's plan for our life. Because every day of our life is a ministry, and every day of our life is a potential workplace for Jesus Christ. There's a second truth, and that's viewing work as a ministry offers a reward. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you're serving. The inheritance believers receive takes many forms, but certainly one dimension is that somehow what we do today has implications for the eternal future, and I wonder how many of us think about that Monday morning. But well, anyway, let me give you some possibilities of what that inheritance or that reward looks like. I think first, it's the freedom to labor for a greater purpose than salary. Or ego enhancement, or to feed the insatiable needs to consume. Businessweek last year did an article reviewing the book The Overspent American. Sociologist Juliet Score asks Is keeping up with the Joneses killing us? We're shopping ourselves silly. We're a nation of accomplished spenders, slaves to advertising and status symbolism. The conspicuous fruits of our consumption shout out their aspirations and insecurities. And she goes on to assert our consumption goal is essentially unachievable. And amid their widespread wealth, most Americans are not content with their lives. What freedom to be delivered From addiction to consumption, and to be working for nothing more than to stack up more stuff so we can go buy more stuff. You see, in contrast, a Christian who works to serve is delivered from workaholism and careerism and materialism and competitiveness that makes often our co workers enemies rather than people to be cared for in the name of Christ. We're different in the workplace, that's our calling. The second possible reward for making work a ministry is that our perspective of why we work is changed from drudgery to an inner joy that what we do in the workplace has eternal significance. It's valued by God. It's part of God's plan for our individual life. And then later in eternity, we're going to somehow be evaluated for it. Charles Colson tells a great story of a man who visited a stone quarry. And he asked three workers what they were doing. And one guy said irritably, can't you see I'm cutting a stone? And the second one says, I'm earning $100 a week. And the third guy dropped his pick, stuck out his chest, and he says, I'm building a cathedral. I wonder what our answer would be if asked, what are we doing Monday morning in the workplace? As a Christian, you're building something that's going to go into eternity. I wonder if we really believe that. The Bible says so. Making our workplace a caring ministry done as an offering to Jesus himself frees us from these self-defeating questions regarding our work. Like, what am I getting out of it? How much am I being paid? How how, How is what I do viewed by society? Knowing we're serving Christ by serving others is all we need to know. And that's great freedom. There's a third reward, and that is that when we believe we're doing our work for Jesus, we want to do it well. All of us experience poor workmanship, perhaps from an auto mechanic or a home remodel. I don't mean to pick on anybody. Well, let's take the recent power outage in San Francisco. That was caused by negligence. So many workers bored at what we, have, what we do have lost the sense that they're serving the consumer. And above all, as Christians, we've lost the sense we're serving Jesus in what we do. Some rob the company for whom they work by merely just showing up and putting in time and taking advantage of sick leave. Edward Markham writes, there's waiting a work where only your hands can avail. And so if you falter, a chord in the music will fail. I really believe that something will miss in the very company where you are or where you work. If you don't do your job of ministry, I don't fully understand it. I just believe it because Jesus said so. Well, if any of this, um, pushes some bells in your soul let me suggest some possible attitude changes that we can ask the Holy Spirit to bring to us if we would like to do some changing about rediscovering some joy in our work let's be thankful to God we have a job ask someone not able to work what it feels like not to be able to go to work on Friday let's do an inventory of our priorities between work and other areas of our lives how are you doing on that What do you and your wife feel about it? Are we giving God his share of our earnings, which the Bible says are the first 10%? We don't talk a lot about tithing in this church, but God talks a lot about it in Scripture. Let's identify one person in our workplace that we can begin caring for in in, in kind of a ministry because we know, know somehow God wants us to do that. And you might even get really bold and start a prayer meeting or a Bible study at work. That's happening all over Silicon Valley. What a way to penetrate the peninsula. And by the way, if your schedule is so full that you're sitting there saying, here I am in church and all I'm hearing the preacher say is I've got to do one more thing and I can't even handle what I'm doing. Let me tell you a story. Somebody sent me an email about this visiting professor to a business class And he gave an illustration none of those uh, students will ever forget. Took a great big mason jar with a wide mouth, put it up here and then he had some big rocks and one by one he stacked the rocks until the mason jar was full. He held it up and he asked the class, is it full? And they said, sure is, wrong. Reached under his desk, pulled out some gravel, poured in the gravel on top of the big rock, shook the jar and it filled in all the places between the big rocks. Now, he says, is the mason jar full? And they were starting to catch on. and They said, no, not yet. Good, he said. So he reached down, brought out some sand, poured in the sand, shook it, and again filled up. Now, he said, is the jar full? They were pretty sharp. Said, no, you're right. He reached down, got a pitcher of water, poured the water into the jar and it filled up to the top. Now, he said, what's the point of the story? And this very ambitious student put up his hand. He said, the point of the story is that no matter how busy you are, you can always squeeze more into your schedule. (laughs) And the professor said, wrong. (laughs) The point of the story is if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never get them in. And the point of the story for us is if we don't put God's priorities first in our lives and in the workplace, we'll never get them in. And that's the whole purpose of the message. And that has everything to do with rediscovering joy in our work. We need to redefine our priorities around God's guidelines, guidelines regarding family, money, relationships, work and get them into a divine balance, rather than a cultural balance, dictated by secularism out there. And you know, we're gonna need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. I certainly haven't, I I haven't arrived yet, even in my own work, there's days I love my work, and there's days that I'd rather do anything but ministry, and there's days that I give too much here, and there's days that I don't give enough. We're all like that. But you know, Jay talked last week about change. And he said this, he gave us hope, he said that no matter how difficult, change is possible for the Christian. And it's possible for you. You don't have to stay trapped. You can rediscover joy in your work. If we seek God's guidance about giving priority to the big rocks, he's going to provide lots of room in our lives for all the other things that he's called us to do. And once more, In 1999, you're going to find some joy and meaning in those hours, those long hours that we spend Monday through Friday in labor. So may God bless us as we seek new joy in our ministry. Would you bow in prayer with me? Lord, thank you so much. The Bible has something to say about the totality of our lives. Thank you that we can come to worship and get a fresh perspective. We kind of get things re Uh, calibrated around you. You know where we are. You know our individual needs. And I pray for miracles for all of us that this will be a year when we get balance and we find joy in that great opportunity you've given us to serve you during the week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.